Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Judges. The Old Testament book of Judges and chapter number 7. Judges in chapter number 7. We are on the downhill swing of our series of Judges. We are closing it up in about our revival time. We'll be finishing up near there at the end of April, but just a few more messages winding down. Now, on Sunday, we were introduced to this man of Gideon. And if you were to describe him in a certain way, if you were to go back and say, what is a word, what is a phrase you could describe Gideon? The, the phrase fearful should be on the top of the list. Remember that when God found him, and it was Jesus himself who showed up, and Jesus found Gideon, he was hiding behind a wine press. And what he was doing is that he was threshing wheat and he was trying to hide. Please don't let them see me. Please don't let me see him. And his whole character was fearful. But yet when Jesus found him, he said, thou mighty man of valor. That didn't fit at all. Aren't you glad we have a God who can see more in us than we could see for ourselves? He can see what we're supposed to do. He can see his will for us. He can see what he can make us if we would just allow him. We do have a wonderful God. But we have Gideon, who is a very fearful person. And we saw him as he challenged God a little bit, that he tried to put God to the test. And I know that some people place a great emphasis on Gideon's fleece. But I want to remind you that he didn't need it because he already had God's word. God said, go do this. He brought, by the Holy Spirit, 32,000 soldiers. And they're sitting them, all right, you called us. You're leading us. What do you want us to do? And he went, um, let me go double check and make sure that this is what I'm supposed to do. And we saw the emphasis that as much as experiences are interesting, as much as they're great, that the Bible talks about in 2 Peter chapter 1, that we have a more sure word of prophecy. That Peter said, as much of a great experience it was to be on the Mount of Transfiguration, I'd rather you have the Bible. The Bible is better. To have God's word, to have God's commandment is better than any experience. At 2 Peter chapter number 1. But now we have Gideon. He has 32,000 people lined up. He has the people that are set, and now they are preparing to go. And we find this where we're at in Judges chapter number 7. Judges chapter 7, and notice with me, if you wouldn't mind, in verse number 1. Judges chapter 7, in verse number 1, the word of God says this, Then Jerubbabel, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him, rose up early and pitched beside the well of Hadrod. So that the host of Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, the people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, mine own hand hath saved me. 
Now, therefore, go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people twenty and two thousand, and there remained ten thousand. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are yet too many. Bring them down unto the water, and I will try them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, This shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And whomsoever I say unto thee, This shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought down the people to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone that lappeth of the water with his tongue as a dog lappeth, him shall thou set by himself. Likewise, every man that boweth down upon his knees to drink. And the number of them lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were three hundred men. But all the rest of them, the men bowed down upon their knees to drink water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the three hundred men that lapped will I save you, and deliver the Midianites into their hand. And let all the other men go every man into his place. So the men took victuals in their hand and their trumpets. And he sent all the rest of Israel, every man, unto his tent. And retained those three hundred men. And the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Arise, get thee down into the host, for I have delivered it into thine hand. But... If thou fear to go down, go with Perah, thy servant, down to the host. And thou shalt hear what they say, and afterward shall thou hands be strengthened to go down to the host. Then went he down with Perah, his servant, unto the outside of the armed men that were in the host. And the Midianites and the Amalekites of all the children of the east along the valley like grasshoppers for multitude. And their camels were without number as the sand by the seaside for the multitude. And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream. And lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came into the tent and smote it that it fell and overturned and the tent lay along. And his fellow answered and said, This is nothing save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, for into his hand hath God delivered the Midian and all the host. And it was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof that he worshipped and returned into the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord had delivered into your hand the host of the Midian. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and he put a trumpet in every man's hand and with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. And he said unto them, Look on me and do likewise. And behold, when I come out to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, so shall ye do. And when I blow a trumpet, I and that all that with me, then ye, then blow ye the trumpets also on every side of the camp, and say, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon and the three hundred men that were with him came into the outside of the camp. In the beginning of the middle watch, and they had but newly set the watch, and blew the trumpets, and brake the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets, and brake the pitchers, and helped the lamps in their left hands, and the trumpets in their right hands, to blow withal. And they cried, The sword of the Lord, and of Gideon. And they stood every man in his place, 
round about the camp, and all the host ran and cried and fled. And the three hundred blew the trumpets, and the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the host. And the host went to Bethshedah and Zareth, and to the border of Abimelech, unto Tabith. And the men of Israel gathered themselves together out of Naphtali, out of Asher, out of all of Manasseh, and pursued the Midianites. And Gideon sent messengers all throughout Mount Ephraim, said, Come down against the Midianites, and take before them the waters unto Beth Barah and Jordan. And all the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and took the waters of Beth Barah and Jordan. And they took two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb. And they put Oreb upon the rock Oreb, and Zeb they slew at the white press of Zeb and pursued Midian and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side of Jordan. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that is repeated twice within this conflict the, in the book of Judges chapter 7, the first one in verse number 18, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And then once again we find it in verse number 20. Where it says the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And with the Lord's help we're going to talk about Gideon and his 300 men. With this idea the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. If you don't mind let's go to the Lord together. Dear Heavenly Father thank you so much again for the great privilege to be in your house tonight. And thank you for the prayer requests that have been requested. The prayer requests that have been prayed. Thank you that you're a God who has already gotten the victory. I'm praying that as we go through this message tonight that we would be already encouraged to see that you're a God who doesn't wait. You're a God who's already in control. That God before we even fight the battles you've already got it won. Before we even face the foe, the victory is already in Jesus. And Lord, I'm asking that you would strengthen folks up tonight. Strengthen them up to be able to follow you even more, knowing that you are a great God who is able, who can, and who will win. Thank you for it. Lord, even in myself, I don't have the physical health tonight. So the best I know how, I surrender myself to you, my body, my back, my lips, my tongue, my thoughts. And I surrender them to you. And ask that you fill me with your precious spirit so that you can get your own work accomplished through your precious word. Thank you, Lord, for listening to the prayer and knowing that you've already answered. In Jesus' name, amen. As we come to this passage here, talking about Gideon, Gideon is starting with 32,000 men that we've already seen them called, that it was the Holy Spirit of God that prompted Gideon, and he went and sent messengers, and he had 32,000 people who showed up and said, all right, you tell us what to do. And now Gideon is now giving instructions by God. God is already trying to say, Gideon, let's take care of business. And the first thing we want to see in this passage here is the weeding down of the army. The weeding down of the army. Now, as we approach Josh, uh, Judges chapter 7 and verse number 1, notice once again the name of Gideon here, Jerubbabel. Jerubbabel. Remember, this is something we saw in the previous chapter, that this is the same name as Gideon. You're going to see this name pop up again and again in the book of Judges. This is an important one to be able to associate. This is Gideon. Of course, it says it pretty clearly in verse number 1. 
and then Jerubbabel, who is Gideon, just to remind you who he is. But he starts off with 32,000 people. And then the Lord in verse number two says, Gideon, you got too many people. Now, normally, whenever you're going to fight a battle, that it is preferable to have more people than the enemy. In fact, they tell uh, in war college, they'll tell the commanders that it is best to have at least a three to one advantage, meaning you have three people to every one person they have. Now, God is telling Gideon, you got too many people. He's looking at 32,000. And remember who he's fighting against, the Midianites, who for the last seven years, they have gathered up with all of the, the enemies of the east and the Amalekites, and they have swept across the land to destroy all the crops. Remember that they just didn't steal the crops. They burnt everything else that didn't remain. And so the Bible says that Israel was greatly impoverished, meaning they were greatly poor. Everything's been burned for seven years. And the Bible, how it describes them is that they came as grasshoppers. Now, out here, we don't have locust plagues, but literally locust plagues would go throughout the ancient world and they would eat every little bit. They would eat any clothes that you had in the clothesline. They would eat every blade of grass. If you had a leather belt, they would eat that. And so uh, locust plagues was something that was that was uh, common. Well, it would be more than rare, uh, but they were familiar enough with it. And that's how it's describing it, that you couldn't count the army. Can you imagine a big black cloud of grasshoppers and trying to count them? All right, guys, hold still. One, two, three. I mean, there was just too many to count. And Gideon is standing, knowing that here's an army that's too many to count, and he has 32,000. And God says, Gideon, you got too many. What? What do you mean? They still outnumber us. And God says, no, I don't want the people to say, look at what we did. Look at how great our army was. He says, I don't want you to say how great your army is at all. I want you to say how great of a God you have. I want you to look and say, you couldn't do a single thing. It was God that did it all. And so he says, all right, God, what do you want me to do? So he says, I want you to go to them. We see this in the next verse, verse number three. I want you to go to them and say, all right, anyone who's scared, go home. Now, Gideon could understand this. He probably wanted to go home himself. But he went to his army and said, all right, anyone who's scared, anyone that's kind of afraid, go home. Could you imagine his heartbreak is... The first guy steps out of line and says, all right, well, <laughs> I'm scared. I'm going home. And then another and another. And then 22,000 people walked away. Can you imagine how discouraging that would be, especially for someone who's already a scaredy cat, already that God has had to push and tell and command to do what God told him to do to go to fight the armies and 22,000 people walk away. He's almost like, does it have to be that many that go away? So now he's left with 10,000. So he said, all right, uh, we got 10,000 here. God, all right, everyone went home. Everyone who said they're scared, you wouldn't let me go home. Now, what do we do? And God says, you still got too many. Again, Think of the character of Gideon, who's a fraidy cat, who's already scared. And now God says, you still have too many. What? 
How are we going to win? You got too many. He says, I want you to go by the brook. Here's a river over here. I want you to go tell them to get a drink. And as they're getting a drink, I'll tell you who to keep and who not to keep. So they went. And what happened is that you had two different groups of people. You had some people who are really thirsty. Now, remember, they didn't have refrigerators with the nice little cup holder where you put it in there and nice cool water came out. They didn't have wells uh, where they were currently at. They were thirsty and they saw this river and some of them got down on their hands and knees and just stuck their face in the river and just started drinking. I meant they're not looking about anything else. They're not alert. They're just looking out for themselves. They plunge their head in and just start licking it up. Meanwhile, you have a few that grab some water and looking alert, they take the water and they cup it and they start drinking it like this. And they're always vigilant and they're always alert. And God says, all right, you keep those guys who were alert. Everyone else who just got in and were just looking out for themselves and weren't looking out to see if there was any danger, you send them home. So he sends them home and he's left with just 300. You have a scaredy cat guy who was hiding. Remember, he's not a big burly man. He is, he is small. He's scared. He's Okay, what's going to happen now? He's left with 300. You can imagine this little peep squeak guy who's scared, frightened. Uh, okay, guys, th- this is it. We're going to go capture the army with this. All right, you guys ready to go? Almost hear the response. Uh, it wasn't the best motivational speech. All right, come on. And so we see God weeding down the army And it goes down to just 300. But notice what God tells him in verse number 7. And the Lord said unto Gideon, By 300 men that lapped will I save you. God says, I don't even need 300, but let's start with there. With this 300, I'm going to defeat this unnumerable host. How about that? He says, I'll deliver the Midianites into thine hand and let all the other people go Every man to his own place. So the men took uh, people took victuals, that's food, in their hand and their trumpets. And he sent the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, and retained those 300 men. And the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley. So now he's packed, uh, parked in the other side of the valley. The Midianites are down there. They're getting ready to go to war, which we come to the second thing, the battle that was already won. The battle already won. You know, the wonderful thing about God is that he, we, he needs us less than what we think He does. He's a great God. God can win the battle without us. He just chooses to use us. And here He's going to prove to Gideon that the battle is already won. You know, it's much easier to go to a fight when you already know you won, Right? When you, it's easier to play a game when you already know you're going to win. When the, it's it's easier to make a gamble when you already know you're going to win. That confidence that it's already won. You know, it would help us in our Christian life if we could already see that God has already won. That God's already won the victory. We just have to go ahead and go through the fight. But God's already won. He is a great God. He is able to get, the battle is already won. We can go with confidence because of the great God. That 
he already won the battle. Notice as he goes up to verse number 9. He tells Gideon, and it came to pass on the same night. So they have 300 people. They spent the whole day uh, weeding out to 300. They went from 32,000 down to 300. That's a big decrease. So they got 300. The same uh, came to pass that same night that the Lord said to him, Gideon, Arise and get thee down into the, unto the host, for I have delivered it to thy hand. But if thy fear to go down... Isn't it wonderful that God even knows who Gideon is right now? Hey, if you're still scared, you go ahead and go down. I'm going to prove to you that I've already won the battle. But if thou fear to go down, go with Perah, thy servant, down to the host. And thou shalt hear what they say. And afterwards shall thine hands be strengthened to go down to, into the host. Then he went down with Perua, his servant, unto the outside of the armed men that were in the host. God says, all right, Gideon, if you're still scared, let's get rid of this fear. I want you to go down and go outside of the camp. And I just want you to hear what they're talking about. Just hear their conversation. And after you hear what they're talking about, you'll be strengthened. You'll have no problems marching down there. He's probably thinking in his mind, yeah, I don't think there's anything that's going to make me less scared. So he sneaks with his servant and they go down to the edge of the host and they're listening. They, they hear two guards talking. Now it talks about how many there are that they filled the valley just like grasshoppers of the multitude. Their camels were without number as in the sand by the sea. So basically there's a lot of people. So he gets by, hears some guards, and one of the guards tells a dream, verse 13. And Gideon was come and behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow and said, behold... I dreamed a dream, and lo, a cake of barley bread. Now, by the way, barley is the cheapest type of bread you can make. It's what, it's what the poorest of the poor would eat and make uh, out of bread. So they had this poor piece of bread, this bread that, that only the poor people would make. I had a dream, and lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian. Now, think of bowling. They didn't have bowling back there. But imagine this little tiny worthless bread was bowled down into the Midianites. And just like bowling, they rolled a strike and Midianites are flying everywhere. Just this little piece of bread rolled down and just destroyed them all. And it came to a tent and smote it that it fell. So it rolled down into the host of Midianites, came to a tent, overtook, uh, took the, turned the tent... And then the tent's laying aside. So the guy's saying, I had a dream last night, man. It was so vivid about this cake came down. It rolled into the midst of it, bowling down, hit this tent, knocked down the tent. Man, that was, it was a weird dream. Gideon's listening and saying, all right, well, this is strange. This guy's dreaming a dream. Then his fellow answered and said, this is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the man of Israel. For into his hand God had delivered the Midianite and all the host. Now, let's mark a couple things here. First of all, Gideon, just a couple days ago, maybe less than that, was hiding behind a wine press. This is not a guy who is known for anything in Israel. How in the world did the Midianites even know who he is? This is a guy who's hiding. 
This is a guy who, who's scaredy cat. If you talk to his friends, they said, yeah, that's, that, that's a guy over there who, who's just so scared. He, he's just afraid. He, I mean, he, he, he's just a weak guy. No way he's going to lead an army. And the Midianite said, you want to know who that bread is? That is Gideon. And just so you don't get confused, that's the son of Joash. Now, they didn't have uh, the last names that we had that would be Bar Joash, meaning the son of Joash. This is Gideon Bar Joash. He says, they know my name. They said my name. And, and that I'm going to destroy the camp. And the Midianites say, I'm going to come and destroy them. That's what this dream is. I mean, that would be kind of disconcerting to go eavesdrop on an enemy. And they're talking about you, how you, you are going to come and destroy them. That'd be kind of disconcerting. But yet it strengthened Gideon. Man. God told him that he was going to come down and strength. You know, it just so happened, he happened to be right next to the guy who had the dream and right next to the guy who gives the interpreter the dream. I mean, it just so happened he arrived just there when they're talking this conversation. Don't we have a wonderful God? He said, just in case you were scared, Gideon, let me tell you the battle's already won. And I'm going to do it with a dream with this other guy, some guy who doesn't even believe in me in the first place. And that it is that God delivered Midian and all the host. Now, again, I'm thinking about the soldier. He's saying, Gideon's going to come and kill us all. Okay. (laughs) He's having this dream. So Gideon, he's encouraged now. And it was so in verse 15, when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof that he worshiped. That means he stopped and thanked God and said, wow, you are an amazing God. I mean, any one of us would have done that. Gideon says, all right, well, no longer really that scared. I may be nervous, but you've already won the battle, God. God has already won the fight. So let's go. So he went back and returned to the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord had delivered into your hand the host of Midian. So we see the weeding down of the army. We see that the battle is already won. Now we see this. Letting the light shine. Letting the light shine. Notice, if you don't mind, in verse 16. And he divided the 300 men into three companies. And he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers. So they're little uh, clay pitchers. And inside are lamps within the pitchers. And he said to them, look on me and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, that it should be as I do, so you should do. And he explained to them... That when he blows the trumpet, he wants them to break the pitchers, let the light shine, blow the trumpets and shout the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And so they spread around the camp of the Midianites. They surrounded them. Now, what this was going to do was going to set the illusion that there was more people out there than what really was. What would happen is that you would have a a company of men, maybe a thousand men, maybe a little bit more. And each one of them would have someone who would blow the trumpet. Trumpets would give different commands inside of the battle. The trumpets would be blown to say a charge, right? We do have that in our American thing. Do, 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 do. You know, you watch those old westerns when you had the cavalry charging and whatever else. The, the, uh, the <laughs> trumpets would sound retreat. So when uh, they needed to retreat, the trumpets would blow. And so the company would have trumpets that would go a command. And you would have a trumpet for a certain number of men 
to go so that way they would be within earshot so that way they could easily give commands to the army. Then you would also have someone who holding up a light and that would be to allow uh, people to see giving orders that type of things to be able to fight. And so it would seem like even though there's only 300 men out there because it's dark and because you couldn't see around them, you would be able to see this light and see hear the trumpets and hear the people shout. And it would seem like instead of 300 men that there'd be a thousand times that many. That are surrounding the army. So it's an illusion. It's a fin. It's a ruse. It's, um, it's not true. But this is what's there. They don't have the swords ready to fight. Their hands are occupied with a lamp. And a trumpet. And so he sets them all around. Then as soon as he begins to shout. They break the pitchers of light. And allow the light shine. They take the trumpets and blow. And now confusion occurs. Notice what happens in verse number 22. And the 300 men blew the trumpets. And the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow. Even throughout the host. So what happened is that Gideon blew the trumpets. And the lanterns were showing. The people were so scared they were stabbing their friends. I mean they didn't. Where's the army coming? Where's the enemy? Someone's coming to attack me. He's right next to me. And they were stabbing their friends. They were stabbing their fellow soldiers. They were fighting amongst themselves. Some were trying to retreat and trying to get away. Get out of my way. Every man for himself. You have a chaos thing. They're killing themselves. And Gideon didn't have to fire a shot. What a wonderful God that he's able to do this and have it set up. And so the enemy starts running. Gideon sends uh, orders up for the uh, Ephraim to block the river pass so they can't cross the Jordan River to get to the other side. He sends some other people and they start heading people off and those different tribes begin to kill them and whatever else. But the amazing thing here is that Gideon and his army, his initial thing... They didn't have to stab anybody. They didn't have to fight anybody. God had already won the battle. You know, there is a thing here with letting the light shine. It scared and disoriented the darkness when you had the light. You know, God has already won the battle. Think about the Gideonites holding the lantern. All that was necessary to get the battle won was to let their light shine. Do you know Jesus said that very same thing? Turn with me to the New Testament, if you don't mind, in the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew in chapter number 5. In Matthew chapter number 5, Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, is beginning. And Jesus is taking these people aside, and he's preaching to them and encouraging to them in this long message. And in the Gospel record of Matthew, in chapter number 5, see what Jesus says about us And that God getting the battle won. Notice with me in verse number 14. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14. It says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. 
Notice as Jesus is teaching this, he is saying, you, ye are the light of the world. You know, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your as your personal savior, the Holy Spirit lives with inside of you. And if God has truly saved you, as the Holy Spirit comes in inside of you, there's going to be some changes. If something as big as God moves in something as small as my heart, there's going to be some changes. And as he changes my life, that we are going to have a light. You understand that sometimes a light uh, can light up a dark room. You may not be able to see things in the room, but you could see the light. For example, we turned off all the lights and I put on a lighter here. You may not be able to see and read things, but you could see the light from anywhere. During uh, World War II, when they were bombing England, in fact, when they were bombing America, Uh, We did have some bombers try to come to America. They would have what was called blackouts. That's because even something as small as an LED light can be seen from miles away and could easily be pinpointed because light can travel through darkness. Light can pierce the darkness. You can see the light in the midst of the darkness and understand we are in a dark world. And if we are living the way that we ought to, it will shine a light in a dark world. Remember, we don't fight against flesh and blood, the Bible said. We fight against principalities and powers. Spiritual darkness in high places. You know, our enemies are not the boss of your work. The enemies are not your neighbors. They're not liberals. They're not whatever else. We fight against spiritual darkness. And what God said to do is to let Our light shine. And God will get the victory. Do you know just letting your light shine can convict people and you don't have to say a single thing? Just living the way that you're supposed to is enough to bother people, to disrupt that darkness. Men love darkness, but you shine a little bit light. They don't want their work shown. No, 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 no. They like to hide this stuff. They like to keep it buried. But that light shining is enough to convict people. It's enough to make people miserable. It's enough to expose things. Verse 14. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. You understand that if you have you've been saved, you are meant to let your light shine, not to hide it. It's supposed to expose. It's supposed to be a lighthouse that if you set a city on a hill you can't hide it. You know, um, we as Americans, we don't like to do anything that disrupts us. During World War II, another World War II story, that off the coast of Florida, they would have uh, German subs waiting until darkness falls. And now, even though the coast of uh, America, the East Coast, had blackout orders, us Americans said, ah, forget it, they're so far away. And what would happen is that the Germans would place their self in between the coast and where the ships would travel. And because they would have the lights, anything that traveled and blocked off those lights, they would fire upon. Even off the east coast of America, we had so much ships that were sunk during World War II just because we didn't want to be inconvenienced to uh, turn our lights off. Well, that same scenario that... that we let our light shine, it is going to be spread from a distance. People are going to be able to see it. People are going to go and be able to identify it. They may not like it, but they could see it from a far distance. 
Verse number 15, neither do men light a candle or put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Now, remember, they don't have electricity. So what they would do is they would have candles. And so if you want to do anything at your, in your house at night, you had to light a candle. Now, you don't light a candle and say, all right, I want to see, and then put a bucket over it. It makes it useless. If you have a bucket over it, the candle does no good. There's nothing that can be done about it. It's meant to, if you're going to see by the light, you have to have it uncovered so the whole house can see. So uh, let your light so shine before men that they, men, may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Do you know that if we're letting our light shine, they'll see the things that we do and they won't say, wow, look at that person over there. They'll say, wow, what a great God that they have. You know, we just are supposed to do what we're supposed to do. Just as you obey the Lord, that is enough to work on people's lives and hearts. Now, we should confront them with the gospel and we should tell them. But you understand that this world is tired of hearing about what Christians are supposed to be like and they want to meet one. You understand what I mean? I mean, we could tell people to go to church all you want. But they want to see someone who, who's, whose life has been changed. The greatest evidence that the Bible works is the evidence of a changed life. When someone sees that changed life, they look at it and go, wow. Let me give you an example. There was a young man I led to the Lord, and he bowed his head and accepted Christ uh, near Thanksgiving one year. And uh, we began to go through discipleship with him, and he began to change rapidly, so much that he surrendered the call to preach, uh, went, started getting ready to go to Bible college to be a missionary. And his twin brother had been saved for quite a long time. And his twin brother had been active in church, been a member of the church, but kind of flatlined and plateaued. Well, because his twin brother, who was in discipleship, had started growing so rapidly and learning and getting excited about the Lord, that it started to bother the twin. He said, man, I almost feel like I'm not saved. So much so that I was at a retirement home meeting, not a church meeting. I was preaching at a retirement home and I came out and his twin brother was waiting for me outside the retirement home and said, you, whatever you're doing to my brother, do it to me. And he entered discipleship and started changing too. But he was just watching his twin brother. And he said, there's something different about him. There's something. He says, it's bothering me that I've been saved for so long. And yet he is growing so much. That's why I love new Christians. You get a brand new Christian and you start discipling them. And it will bother saved Christians who have been saved for quite a while. Because they'll say, man, they're growing faster than me. I need to catch. There's something different than me. I need to change. That's letting your light shine. As you let your light shine, it is when you have a difference in life, it will, others will pay attention and say, what's going on? Now, it may confuse them. It, they may figure it out. They may get a wrong conclusion, but they will pay attention to it. And at the very end, they'll say, that's God. God can change lives. He can make drunkards and to good parents. He could change drug addicts to good citizens. 
He could change lives. He could turn liars to someone that could be trusted. He could take someone with uh, immoral characteristics and change them to someone who could be a leader. He could change a coward to someone who is leading the forces in Israel. That's a, what a wonderful thing. That God can change people. But we got to allow him to change us. we got to allow our light to shine. we got to allow God to be God in our life. And remember, the battle is already won. He can change lives. He can affect others. You know, when it's all said and done, he needs us a lot less than what we think he does. But praise the Lord, he wants to use us. And the main way he wants to use us Praise the Lord for all the activity we do. Praise the Lord for every track we do. Praise the Lord for all the other stuff. But the greatest thing that affects people is to see the changed life. Has your life been changed? Has it been so much that people are looking at it and say, that is what a Christian looks like. That's what a Christian smells like. That's what a Christian acts like. That's a Christian. Or are you able to fit into a crowd and people say, that's a Christian? I didn't know that. So let your light so shine, the Bible says, before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Do you know what's going to defeat the spiritual darkness is not you. It's the God living in you. Let your light so shine. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.